Hi, Steve Cooper, Rank Success, and this is an intro to my uh, next podcast, which is an interview with Assistant Chief Constable Katie Barrow-Grint of Thames Valley Police. And Katie is the highest ranking female officer in Thames Valley Police. And I went up to Oxford this week to have a chat with her. She very kindly set aside some time, and we talked about quite a few things in relation to promotion and policing. Uh, including uh, promotion fairness and looking at the issue of competition, uh, improving promotion, what things can be done better and lots of people argue about whether an interview is relevant or not relevant so I pose that to Katie as I have done to other senior officers in interviews for podcasts and it's quite interesting uh, one of the points there was that they don't interview for sergeants and haven't done for a while in Thames Valley Police but they experimented with doing that with inspectors and it didn't work out. So have a listen as to why that was and what they actually want when you go from sergeant to inspector. We also covered some advice for aspiring leaders. Um, Stepping up to inspector uh, and you know what some of the things you might want to be thinking about as important things uh, when making that step up to the more strategic rank of inspector from sergeant. We talked about leading investigations and expectations around investigations and standards. Uh, we also touched on uh, Twitter uh, debate or WeCops, which is, for those that are unaware, on Twitter or X as it is now, uh, Katie is one of the leads on uh, that online forum for policing issues and debates uh, with a wide reach. And then we went to domestic abuse. We talk about violence against women and, and girls and uh, upholding standards. And then we talk around some of the barriers facing women in police uh, leadership uh, and any that Katie still thinks are relevant and topical. And finally, we finish with a bit of CPD advice for officers in relation to those who aspire to formal leadership positions in policing. Okay, so... Um, If you would like to use my podcast or Rank Success podcast as a platform, if you've got an issue you'd like to cover or get out there, a message to get out there, more than happy to chat with you in relation to that um, and to set up an interview if that's what you want. But you're welcome to use it, including guest blogs uh, for policing issues and challenges. Um, Finally, uh, anybody who is aspiring to promotion can hit the ground running straight away with Rank Success Digital Promotion Toolkits uh, or a video recorded masterclass or attend a uh, live masterclass event. The next one, if you're listening to this, is on Saturday the 30th of September at the National Motorcycle Museum and details are on the site at ranksuccess.co.uk. But those digital toolkits, if you can't make that class, are ready to go now. Uh, 247365 bespoke to sergeant so if you're going for sergeant there's a bespoke guide for you and if you're going for uh, inspector or chief inspector there's a bespoke guide for you as well okay i hope you enjoy the podcast and without further ado i will introduce katie Hi, Steve Cooper, and welcome to another Rank Success podcast. And my uh, guest today is Assistant Chief Constable Katie Barrow-Grint of Thames Valley Police. Uh, so good morning and welcome, Katie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for setting aside some time uh, today uh, for 
uh, my listeners and for people to pick up some insights around their career aspirations, particularly in relation to promotion. But could I just start with saying congratulations on your recent promotion? And could you explain for listeners just a little bit about your current role and responsibilities in Thames Valley, please? Yeah, sure. So I started in April as the temporary assistant chief constable for what we call in Thames Valley crime and criminal justice, but actually covers uh, the criminal justice function, so custody and all the work we do around files and Crown Prosecution Service, um, Force Intelligence and Specialist Operations, so that's our intelligence cohort, and Specialist Operations for us is our serious organised crime syndicates and surveillance teams, along with economic crime and and digital. And then crime is a huge uh, command, covering everything from forensics right through public protection, um, murder investigation. So a really huge command, but one I am um, absolutely um, over the moon to be uh, in uh, taking over as the ACC. Um, And I'm just about to start on the executive leadership programme, so hoping that this will be a a permanent post in the future as I get through that programme with the College of Policing. Brilliant. Okay, thank you very much for that. And could you just uh, tell me a little bit about some of the defined, so I'm just asking you to reflect a little bit in a a couple of minutes, and could you just tell me a a bit about some of the defining moments of of your career to date as you've progressed through the ranks? Mm. Yeah, so I've always been a a Thames Valley officer, and Thames Valley is huge. We are three counties, uh, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire, and I think the fact that we're, you know, the largest non-metropolitan police force makes it... um, easy to stay in in one force and easy to be able to do lots of different things so for me I've uh, I've done a whole plethora of um, roles and uh, jobs within policing I've been a detective um, at every rank uh, apart from chief super my last one Um, but I I suppose the career highlights for me are um, my favorite job was child abuse investigation as a DC where I learnt my skill set about being a detective and you know, as many of your listeners um, will probably be in, in those kind of public protection units, you know you save lives. I know I have saved children's lives as a result of the interventions and the investigations that I've done. I've put people in prison for life through that job. And, and you know, that, that kind of work stays with you throughout your career. So I've been, you know, public protection um, chief inspector. I've now got it in my command as the, as the assistant chief constable. So for me, I'm kind of public protection safeguarding through and through. Um, and, and those those investigations have st- stuck with me since I, I started. Um, I suppose if you think what kind of other things have I got involved in, all, all sorts really, and I know we'll talk about some of, the, some of my interests and some of the things I try and do to develop others, but um, I'm the most senior female police officer now in Thames Valley Police, and with that, you know, I think I'm a role model. I know I'm a role model for others, um, and I take that very seriously around making sure that we take people with us that I'm supporting colleagues as they move throughout their careers um, and for me that again that is you know one of the things I love about this job is is how you bring people through the ranks staff and officers uh, and get the best out of them um, and I suppose operationally I've been involved in all sorts from the, the theft of the golden toilet from Blenheim Palace uh, right through to um, reviewing um, the, the ex-Prime Minister Boris Johnson around his the COVID activity recently at Chequers. Um, and, and I suppose my, my, you know, the thing I've enjoyed most, I suppose, over the last 18 months is the work around violence against women and girls. Um, so I've been leading the force in relation to that and doing a lot of work externally with um, Sharon Gafka, who's a friend of your listeners that watch 
Love Island. She's a Love Island contestant, mm. um, and she's done a podcast. And we've been on Good Morning Britain, and you know, having that ability to influence locally and nationally, and tell people and improve trust and confidence about what we're doing in policing for me has been has been fabulous. I saw that podcast and I watched it. Um, thanks for sharing some of those insights. I appreciate there's there's loads more in the career uh, that you've had to date, but. Um, Another question, just just in relation to some of that and and police um, policing, the Casey Review has reported that many officers um, deem selection processes, so promotion processes, to be unfair. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the fairness or otherwise of current promotion selection processes, and especially when competition is an unavoidable factor? Yeah. Um, So I think that procedural justice within the organisation, the fairness of systems and processes is absolutely essential. Um, And with any sort of selection process, there is always going to be, in my view, some subjectivity. They can never be completely objective. So um, intrinsically, there is going to be some unfairness. And I think it's our role as senior leaders to try and um, make sure that we do the best we can to have that level playing field so that everybody gets the opportunity. Um, I think a lot of that is around um, kind of managing expectations and setting up what the process looks like. So being really clear right from the beginning how often your promotion processes are going to sit. You know, do you do sergeants every twice a year or every year so people can plan their lives and plan their um, their, their prep uh, around what the process physically looks like. But also making sure that you do everything you can to give people opportunity. So be it action learning sets, be it opportunity to go to seminars around promotion, providing mentoring and coaching. Um, we know not everybody can be an acting sergeant or an acting inspector. There isn't sufficient um, uh, possibilities for that. But for me, you don't need that necessarily. You need to have the opportunity to learn and to understand different ways of working. So organisationally providing that, um, I think, is really key. We, we've picked up here in Thames Valley that you know there's work to do in this space. So we're setting up a leadership academy under our new chief constable. Jason Hogg is really keen to really develop what that looks like. Um, and I'm quite excited about that so that we'll be really, really clear, have real clarity at every rank and at every um, police staff equivalent role, you know, what we expect. Uh, and we will also provide good training, um, good continued professional development for, for people that want to get promoted within this organisation. So I think the future looks quite exciting here. Um, well, just a quick one. And why do you think that hasn't been the case up to now? So, so I think it's been a bit sporadic and I think we've seen lots of different activity through the college. I think we've seen lots of different activity through individual forces. Um, and I think it just depends who your chief officer team are, what they're looking for, what the expectations are, what the force strategy is. I think, you know, the focus, the focus here in TVP now is around that leadership capability and making sure we look after our staff and we do the very best for them. Um, we know it's difficult to recruit. We know it's difficult to retain. Um, we want people to love working here and want to do their very best for their communities. And you can only do that by helping them through the processes. So, um, you know, there, there are lots of opportunities. Um, it's just making sure everybody knows about them. There's always been lots of opportunities. I don't think we've coalesced them into one space and said, this is where you look or this is the plan that you ought to be looking at. And I think we're just going to get a bit better at, at think, doing that. I think with the case you're in pointing out some of that, there seems, as you alluded to, a lot of activity going on in forces at the moment. And I speak to officers at, at, at different ranks who are telling me, yeah, 
whatever's happened, whether it's case review, whatever, all forces have kicked into gear now mm-hmm. around developing people much earlier on in the process. So I think a couple of the things you said there around laying out the process for the year as to what it looks like so people can plan their lives around is one big thing, I think. And the other thing is the different kinds of support that people can access um, as part of their promotion aspirations. So, yeah, Yeah. Um, thanks thanks very much for that. Um, So in terms of improving promotion, then how might forces do a bit better with promotion processes given that that competition is that harsh reality check for those who don't make the cut yeah so so first i think it's understanding what you want from your leaders so for for me if you look at casey if you look at some of the work that's been going on nationally what we really need to be explicit around is standards and making sure that we have real clarity around um, expectations there so um, by default that means that your supervisors your leaders need to have that really good understanding so we are um, introducing for for our organization what we're calling healthy team culture training which is a leadership and training around how to lead a team so it's not just about the violence against women and girls the misogyny the sexism it's much wider than that it's around um, racism um, being ethical in your decision making Um, so that's our first piece around that Um, how we improve promotion because we are giving people the tools that they will need to be good supervisors to start off with. Um, Then in terms of that you know explicit improvement of the promotion process it absolutely is giving people information so it's not a hidden area of business that you don't know what you're going into. We've got to the point where we um, organisationally will provide questions to the um, individuals going through promotion processes so they'll have some preparation time when they actually come and do the the interview Um, and that makes a world of difference because not everybody can think straight off on their feet around what their examples might be Um, and I think you know we we work to people's um, skills in that sense because you have that time and capability to really give your best evidence because you've got the time to think about it. Um, Katie, one of the questions I've asked of, of other senior leaders is, do, do you foresee uh, a holy grail of police promotion processes? What would the holy grail look like, the perfect system? Uh, and, and do you think that an interview is something that can never be excluded from that, the higher you go up the ranks? Mm. So um, we haven't interviewed for sergeant promotion for a long time here in Thames Valley for a number of years. Mm. Um, we didn't do it for inspector, but we found that that was a gap uh, and we reintroduced it at the inspector promotion level because we did organisationally want to test people's um, ability to think under pressure, to, to be able to you know, perform, to be able to speak to others because mm. we're going to put you out as an, an inspector or as a sergeant mm. um, talking to communities. We need to have that reassurance. So, so we've tried to cut down on the bureaucracy at sergeant level mm-hmm. um, and, and then we've, we've um, reintroduced the, the, the uh, interview at inspector level. I, I don't think there is a holy grail, and I've been through a number of different processes, as you can imagine, throughout my career. I was on the High Potential Development Scheme a number of years ago, which, um, a bit like the Police National Assessment Centre for, for senior leadership, you have uh, an interview, you have exercises around your ability to deal with partners, um, you have to give a presentation, uh, you have to do a written exercise. It's testing all sorts of different capabilities. And I think that's useful in terms of understanding how people um, deal with different um, issues, but that's very expensive, very time consuming. Mm. Um, And and I think if we had 
nationally the best process, we'd have found it by now. And, and we have. So, you know, every course is different, every chief is different. Um, there will always be that kind of yeah, different ways of doing things. But as long as you're explicit around the expectation and people can have the time to think through how they can deliver the best in those opportunities, then I think that's probably you know, where we're at. Yeah, thanks for that. And it's interesting just as there's slight different nuances in the answers uh, between uh, different senior leaders mm. around that. So it can be both a strength and a, a kind of issue as well. So developing people and providing all those opportunities um, requires people to still at some stage actually do what it says on the can, which is this is what the process is. I'm afraid an interview is part of it and therefore this is the reason for that, this is the expectation for that and here's how you can prepare for it. So yeah. um, with that in mind, you know, have you got any particular advice that you from your own experience would, would offer an aspiring uh, police leader or police staff leader listening to this podcast at the moment on how to prepare effectively for a promotion opportunity? Yeah, so I do quite a lot of coaching and mentoring in this space and, and there's a few things that I recommend. So firstly, looking at if you're looking at the competency values framework, if that's how your force is delivering their promotion processes, mm. looking at all of the parts of that CVF and working out right at the beginning, either in terms of your written application or as you go into that process, where your gaps are. And if you do it really early on, it gives you the, the time to be able to fill those gaps if you see that there is something you know that doesn't quite work. So I would always say, write your top 10 examples and then go through the CVF, go through the detail of the CVF and say, does example number one fit any of the boxes under that CVF? And it will probably fit quite a few. And num example number two will be similar. Example number three might fit very few. And all of a sudden you're kind of going, well, actually that example is probably not hitting the competencies and I either need to reframe how I discuss it or I need to think about something else. But what you'll also see is some bits of your CVF framework have got nothing in them because none of your examples fit. So it might be working in partnership, it might be analysing um, critically, and, and you can see quite quickly that you're going to have to think of other examples or do some other type of activity to fill those gaps. So for me, it's always around initially understanding your evidence and what that looks like in terms of your ability to present. Um, and then when you get around to actually going into a board process or an interview process, um, practice is brilliant. If you've got somebody that you can practice with and they can ask you questions and that's fine. You might, I go for a run and I will talk in my head and, or I will record myself and listen to myself, which is excruciating, but actually gives you that um, ability to listen to how you are explaining things. Um, and then there are techniques um, that I can talk through with, with individuals I'm working with around how you actually answer the question. So I think quite often individuals go into a process and they answer the question. And you think, well, what's wrong with that? But the question quite often will be relatively straightforward. And actually, you've got to say, why am I being asked this question? What is the context? How do I lift my answering of the question by... I describe it as a funnel, and I'm showing you with my hands where it's difficult if you're listening. But the funnel effect, your question comes in at the middle, and actually what you tend to do is go down the funnel and give your answer. And actually what you need to do is go up to the very wide top and go, why is this important? So you might be asked something around stop and search. And actually that's not about necessarily your performance in stop and search. What you need to be talking about to start off with is the context of legitimacy and policing and all of those kind of issues. Mm. And I think what happens is people get 
quite um, engaged in, okay, I've got to give my answer and my example rather than start off for a, you know, a couple of sentences. You know, why are you asking me this question? What is the context? What's, what's the point of asking me something? So that's the kind of the advice I normally give. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. And I think that the issue around models uh, is, is interesting because you allude to a funnel uh, and sometimes people talk about the pendulum, go here, yeah. come through to the middle, yeah. swing on, yeah. or start with nationally, yeah. start with you know yeah. force-wide and yeah. the issues and challenges, uh, and then go to those wide issues covered in peel, like legitimacy, yes. effectiveness. Yes. Uh, do you think that complexity of those responses needs to change as you go up through the ranks? Because yeah. you're clearly doing that mental thinking yeah. while you're out for a run. Yeah. A sergeant can answer the question yeah. and you're looking at that from a team leader's perspective. Yes. By the time you get to you know, superintendent, chief yeah. inspector to superintendent crossing that Rubicon to the superintending ranks, then you would be looking, I assume, having sat on those mm. boards for something that reflects how that person thinks typically yeah. and how they perform under, yeah. under pressure and the model that you think you might be able to uh, absorb from them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it becomes more complex the higher you go up because the expectation is more significant around your your knowledge of impact across different bits of the organisation and your communities. Uh, and, and whilst if you're going for sergeant or inspector, we want a quite a tactical example, probably. As you get to super chief inspector, it is much more around you make a decision, but what, ha- what about that decision? What is the impact? What, what is the community going to feel like? What does that mean in terms of the other resources in force that that's going to impact on? Nothing can be done in silo. And the higher up you go, you must have that ability to look across the organisation. So it does, it does make a difference. Um, and I think as you're going for more senior roles, there is probably a bit more of an expectation of A, being able to show de- sustained delivery, Mm-hmm. Um, and B, being able to, to understand and show how you learn from things that didn't quite go right or how you do things differently. And that reflection on you as a leader and, and how you can develop as you get higher up the organisation. Mm. And one of the, the kind of segues or gateways into that, Katie, is um, sergeants when they make that leap to, to inspector. Yeah. Um, what do you believe is the most important thing that sergeants should be thinking about when they're stepping up to that? more strategic rank is there a a bespoke point there so i think what i I remember being a sergeant and you knew everything about your team you knew everything that was going on you knew their family life you know their operational life their workloads all of those they're they're kind of the good bits the bad bits the things they needed to work on and i think the higher up you go the less you know the detail of the individuals that are in your command. And that can feel really uncomfortable. And that step up to inspector is the first bit of that almost giving way to others um, and you're not having the knowledge about everything. So you have to have the trust. And I think that's the difference between that kind of sergeant to inspector piece is you you are removed from the front line as much as you might not want to be or you might feel that you are absolutely engaged you are that middle bit between the front line and the more senior um, officers and staff in the organisation in terms of the strategy. And you're the one in the middle that has to take that strategy and make it tactical, make sure people know why we say serving victims is important. So it's definitely a step up. I think the step up to inspector is more significant than the step up to sergeant, in my my personal view. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it's about preparing yourself for that. So thinking, okay, how... How am I going to work not knowing everything that's going on? 
but also being told lots of stuff that I then have to translate. Um, so it is a different role. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Um, my next question is around leading investigations and uh, HMIC, so Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Service, <laughs> um, Peel reports commonly identify across forces the investigation of crime as, as a weakness of forces. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's something always in focus, but it's a critical uh, driver of public um, confidence mm -hmm. and force performance. And it includes supervising investigations and victims' co-compliance. So as ACC for Crime and Criminal Justice, what, what are your expectations of leaders relating to crime investigations? Yeah. So... Um the first thing I'll say is it's not just my responsibility as the ACC for Crime and um, Criminal Justice. It is a, a very wide organisation responsibility to do our very best. And we've, here in TVP, set up our strategy this year under three key areas. So serving victims, fighting crime and improving trust and confidence. And they're all interlinked and they're all about how we investigate crime. You know, that is the one thing that the, the, the police, you know, absolutely essentially do more than any other... Um, organisation. It's all about how we investigate crime. So if you serve your victims right and you get good evidence from them and you keep them on board, then you lead that lead in, it leads, in my view, to that ability to fight crime, to have a good investigation. And if you have a good investigation and you're serving your victims well, then you improve trust and confidence because people have trust in you as the service and they talk about what you've done and how you've done it. So all three are completely interlinked. But at the centre of it is that capability to investigate appropriately and be compliant with the victim's code statutory responsibility we must get that right so in tvp um, our head of uh, crime we have a detective chief super head of crime has um, this year introduced what we're calling the crime management framework and the crime management framework is um, has been introduced to do exactly what you're kind of asking here to make sure that we investigate appropriately to really focus on those investigations um, that uh, we have decided are most significant, which are generally uh, public protection type investigations, so rape, domestic abuse, stalking and harassment, um, uh, that type of uh, incident. Um, and also to give our, our frontline staff um, a, a good um, kind of rationale for why you should or shouldn't take an investigation further. So I think what we tend to have done historically is, is keep investigations running and not have a really good grip around the opportunities here mm -hmm. and um, you know what we've done with the crime management framework is is given a good framework to say these are the parameters for your investigation these are the parameters for what you need to do um, manage the expectations of your victim so if, if, if you know it's not going to go uh, to court, then you file it and you do that at an appropriate time. You don't leave the victim hanging on, you deal with it appropriately. So we speed up our investigation process and that gives us capacity to really properly delve into those investigations that need, um, in my view, you know, really good um, uh, kind of oversight and grip. Um, and, and they are our kind of key ones that we're thinking of. So, you know, we, we noticed We've noticed that particularly with our young in-service workforce, with Police Uplift, mm. it's something like 80% of our workforce uh, in response is going to have under two years service by um, two. this, two this okay. um, autumn. Yeah. So it's a really significant um, 
new workforce and with that comes new supervisors because mm -hmm. a lot of your sergeants are going to have a, a probably less service than historically we might have assumed sergeants would have so we've got to be really clear around the training and the framework that we expect them to deliver on in terms of investigation so work to do um, but I think you know many forces are in this space around how do we ensure our 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 cops are doing their very best for victims in this investigation space. And have you got any direct entry detectives in the month? Yeah, okay. yeah, we've got quite and a lot of... How's that going? Yeah, good, very good actually. We have quite a lot of direct entry um, uh, detectives. Um, they, our attrition rate is very low. They're staying with mm. us. They are enjoying their roles. They come with different backgrounds quite mm. often. Um, so our diversity cohort is much better around the direct entry detectives in our general um, recruitment piece so that's really positive for the organization um, and um, yeah we work really closely um, with police now in, in relation to that mm. um, I'm a big supporter of police now and have done a lot of work with them um, historically um, and we have what's called in uh, terms of a crime academy so a bit like our leadership academy that I was mm. talking about earlier on we already have set up our crime academy and our crime academy uh, manager makes sure that we get the right training, that we're recruiting the right people, um, that we are updating continually the professional development of our detectives and that, that works well. Mm. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Katie. And just switching across to kind of social media, I know that you are one of the kind of leaders or you lead on the We Cops Twitter debate mm. forum. For those listeners that don't know that, if you whip across to, it's called X now, not, <laughs> not, not Twitter. Um, but uh, it's a forum on policing issues takes place generally on Wednesday evenings, 9 till 10, and there's a various or different police topic on each occasion. So what do you think some of the main achievements to date of this online debate facility is, and how do you think it might be influencing yeah. policing for the future? Yeah, so WeCops is one of my extracurricular activities. <laughs> so WeCops is run by um, myself and five um, other officers of differing ranks from different forces across um, uh, the UK. It is, um, it is run by us for policing. We are not affiliated to National Police Youth Council or College Policing or anybody. Um, and, and we do it through the love of policing, frankly, and the want to share good practice, to innovate, to create um, a kind of culture of learning. Um, and WeCops has been running for about eight years. I've, I've been running it for about um, four years or so now. We've had over 150 chats. Like you say, they're every other week on a Wednesday evening, nine till 10. It's on um, Twitter, on X currently. We are looking to move that um, at the moment. We're just in the process of working with Virgin Media who are helping us with our website. Um, our aim is to be able to run the chat through the website. So you mm -hmm. can do it through X, Twitter, if you wish. You can do it through LinkedIn. You can go direct onto the website to open it out because we, we accept that not everybody wants to use kind of overt social media. But the concept is good in terms of the engagement. Mm -hmm. So um, some of our chats have been phenomenal. Um, we've had, particularly in COVID, when people um, were, were more at home, um, we've had a reach of over 3 million in the one hour. Um, we've had everybody from the policing minister um, right through to frontline officers and staff um, engaging in the chat. You know, where else in policing can you as a PC have a conversation with a chief officer or the minister for um, policing? You can't. It doesn't happen. Um, so in that sense, we think we've got our USP. You know, we think there's value in it. Um, and it's a really good engagement tool. So quite often what will happen is we'll have a chat 
um, and it will be led by a chief officer who has a portfolio area, be it domestic abuse, be it rural crime, or um, we might do a more general chat around diversity and policing or um, uh, digital intelligence or whatever it might be. We have a whole plethora of things that we talk about. Um, and uh, there'll be a very short pre-read um, that is um, that we put out in the week prior to the chat. And then on the evening of the chat, there are uh, three questions, 9 p.m., 9.20 and 9.40, um, set by the lead of the chat. And basically, you just answer them if you wish. Um, and you give your opinion. And what we want to learn is what forces are doing around a particular topic, what's good practice. Um, and the reach is so significant um, I, I, you know, my personal belief is policing doesn't quite know what it's got here in terms of that ability to influence. Um, so we, we are starting to have some conversations with the college, um, with Pippa Mills, who's the new National Police Chiefs Council lead for um, communications around, we talk about trust and confidence. Um, this, is a, this is a good vehicle for policing to mm. both internally within policing circles, but also externally with our communities provide some really positive messaging around policing, around how engaged our officers and staff are, around how we want to do our very best, how we want to innovate, how we want to make things better. So I'm quite excited for Week Ops. I think it's going to develop over the next few years. Um, but it is just a few people doing it in the background, right. racing around. So if people want to join, if they want to give us some support, if they've got good ideas, then please do get in touch and I'll be very happy to chat with them. Yeah, and for whoever does the write-ups or the summarising the conversation or the blogs afterwards, I think they provide an additional resource they for do. people who can't quite make yeah. the Wednesday evening but yeah. can actually catch up with the questions and the blog summary yeah. afterwards. So that's quite useful. So if you're a promotion candidate listening to this, you can hop back through some of those mm. discussions and perhaps pick up some threads or ideas for conversation uh, or your evidence. Um, okay, um, a couple more questions, FKT. Domestic yes. abuse... Um, it strikes me how it's almost become a pandemic, mm-hmm. um, as identified in the recent NPCC VAWG report, um, or VORG as people call it. So given your research on this subject and your own policing domestic abuse report, um, what can policing do to tackle these apparent societal problems that have always been there but mm-hmm. seem to be of a higher profile now? And what best practice um, exists now mm-hmm. to tackle uh, attrition rates in DA investigation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I've got a, a kind of academic passion around domestic abuse. So um, I've just recently written a book with um, Jackie Sabaya, who was just retired as an ACC in um, Bedfordshire Police, and with um, Dr. Jackie Turton and Dr. Ruth Weir, who are two academics. And it was our COVID baby <laughs> to write um, this book on domestic abuse. And it's bringing the practical kind of practitioner approach to DA with the academic research. Um, and I've always had an interest in, in kind of academically writing around this. So it, for me, you know, when you talk earlier on about your achievements, I'm really proud to have, to have been in, um, able to, to write this, this book and get my, my work published. But you're right, I don't, I don't think domestic abuse um, is almost a pandemic. It absolutely is. It's a, a, an absolute um, issue for us as a society. And um, I think it still remains quite hidden in terms of the conversations that people have. Um, You know, we deal with it day in, day out. The majority of the work that our officers are doing relates to domestic abuse. Um, Every every domestic abuse case is linked into digital um, activity. You know, it's it's getting more and more complex and complicated domestic abuse. Um, 
But we have to hark back, you know, changes to the legislation have meant that marital rape only in the last 20, 30 years has become a criminal offence. And you just think, well, how can that be? Um, if you look at the domestic abuse statutory legislation now, it's for 16 plus. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing quite a lot of work in this space around adolescent domestic abuse. So if you're aged 14, 15, 16, and you're in an intimate partner relationship, and we know from research that 25% of 11 year old boys have seen extreme pornography, you know, what does that mean for the future of our teenagers in terms of what they understand to be relationships? Mm. Um, and, and what does that look like in terms of the criminality that essentially we are starting to see in some of those younger relationships? So I think there's a lot to do in this space. Um, and the only way we, we keep on it is by you know, talking about the fact that it's not just a policing issue. We are not going to police our way out of domestic abuse. It's got to be a societal issue where it's unacceptable and that people have the confidence to to speak up, um, but also that we, um, as a society, invest appropriately in um, support for victims in particular, support for perpetrators in terms of um, re-engagement and uh, all of that kind of activity, as well as the policing piece around how we deal with individuals. So um, lots to do. Um, Attrition is complex with DA victims. I've done um, academic research which people can read around attrition rates and victims generally will will kind of leave the criminal justice process within the first week. Many of them have made the decision not to even go down a criminal justice process before or as they're ringing the police. They just want it to stop. Mm. So, so our kind of absolute focus from a policing perspective around keeping them on board is really important. Um, there are specialist domestic violence courts in the magistrates. Some of them work, some of them are not so good. That There is a, some work going on at the moment to look at that. Um, we've done a project here in Thames Valley um, uh, over the last few years around um, how we speed up investigations into the Crown Court around domestic abuse. That's not happening anywhere else in the, in the country. Um, but our research suggested that that is a really positive thing to do. If we can get cases into Crown Court within a couple of weeks, your victim stays on board. If you're waiting six months, 12 months, two years, you've got no chance. That seems a really big thing, yeah. doesn't it? So, okay, um, have a breather. <laughs> Sorry, cool. we get quite passionate about yeah, DA. Yeah. No, no, I meant we've been, we've been going for a little while now, so normally if I'm coaching, I always say to people, how are we doing? Have a breather. Do we need have to go and have a coffee? Yeah, yeah have, have a, a drink. drink. Um, okay, um, as a woman in policing, I've got a question here, so there'll be plenty of... Uh, women aspiring leaders listening to mm. this, um, as they have done to, to other podcasts. Um, so in recently, I suppose, in the last couple of years, I've provided a little series of essays on my blog, ranksuccess.co.uk uh, or policepromotion.blog, aimed at supporting women who seek to progress their careers through the policing ranks. Um, so some of the topics I've covered there are, are well-known ones, but from your experience, what barriers do you still consider or believe are persisting here? And how can forces better support aspiring women leaders? Mm. Yeah, so I, I think there are still barriers. It will be different for everybody. Um, and um, you know, there are barriers for women, but there will also be barriers for men. There'll be barriers for people who have families generally um, or caring responsibilities. Um, but I think for women in particular, um, clearly, Quite often we will go off and have children and you are out of the workplace so you don't know what's going on it's hard to keep in touch you are forgotten about um, and when you come back to work you are um, 
exhausted. I speak from experience. I've got two small children, um, and um, you know, trying to juggle being a good mother and being a good officer or member of police staff is really hard. Um, and I think we're getting a much better as a service around how we support women um, in particular, particularly coming back from maternity. Um, different forces do different things. We have a really strong women's network here in Thames Valley, Thames Valley Women's Network, led by um, Superintendent Liz Knight. Um, she has proactively kind of campaigned to ensure that we have, when women come back from maternity leave, they can um, come back um, in an iterative perspective. You know, they can come back for uh, a, a few hours one week and then a few more hours the next week. It's not straight into absolutely what you need to do. Um, uh, but I think there is something around that leadership development piece because we know that women tend to have children at the point at which they probably might be going for promotion, particularly to sergeant or inspector level. And so it can take longer. It can absolutely take longer. And so you, as an organisation, you've got to understand that and you've got to make sure that you have real good oversight of your trajectory of your women. So, you know, in Thames Valley, we've had very few senior women for quite a long time. Um, there's been a really good push to encourage and support um, women into the superintendent ranks, and we have got much better at that over the last five years. Um, so it's about having visible role models to show that it is possible and it is doable, um, but it's also giving that support, whether that be coming back from maternity leave, coaching and mentoring. Um, we have a women's development programme for sergeants and inspectors here, specifically in Thames Valley, to support that as part of our positive action um, work. Um, and, and just making sure that um, we are generally a supportive organisation. Um, but it is tricky. You know, my husband was a firearms officer. I would be the superintendent silver and he would be on night shifts and I would be asked to do silver cover, which might mean doing custody extensions at night. And I'd be saying, the computer says, no, you're both working. And I go, we can't. We've got tiny babies, you know, under two. We need to, one of us has to be at home at night. Mm. And, and having to have those um, conversations with the organisation has been historically tricky. I think we've got a lot better at that now. But, you know, actually saying you have to choose what do you need, a firearms officer or a silver commander. Generally, they wanted the firearms officer. So <laughs> yeah. I would get a different day to do my cover, my duty cover. But I had to proactively have those conversations and sort the duties out rather than the organisation saying, we understand there's an issue here because you've told us we will sort out your duty cover to make sure that you're able to have your family life and, and provide what you need to provide to the organisation. Yeah, and it seems to me from what you just said there, Katie, that TVP are a little bit further along the road than some of the other forces yeah. with the conversations I have uh, with uh, people reflecting back issues and challenges and barriers for them to get through promotion with Air Force. So yeah. asking, asking the questions and being refused repeatedly, yeah. not just for that, but also for promotion, also around duties generally yeah. and things yeah. like that. So difficulties on both sides, yeah, but no, it seems absolutely. like you're quite enlightened yeah. here with all those support programs. We try to, and particularly where there are both individuals work in the police, so both partners work in the police. In essence, what we try and do is get the supervisors and those individuals to work together to come up with the best patterns. Um, and that's over the last few years to say, you know, actually, can we do this better? Um, but, you know, as a 24-7 organisation, we still have a bit of a long way to go, I think, around job share, around some of those jobs that you might be able to do in school hours, out of school hours, all of those kind of things. But um, like everybody, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Thank you for that, and thanks for your for your time today. I really do appreciate it. I know you're busy. You say you're gold cover today, so uh, even more appreciation there because <laughs> I was unaware of that, and your phone hasn't hopefully gone off to now. So we've arrived at at the last um, question, really. Um, so, given your career and your experience with police leadership and promotion to date, what be the one best piece of CPD or career advice? you give to an officer aspiring to formal leadership positions? Um, I think it would be take opportunities when they present themselves, but also make opportunities for yourself. So I think if you expect everything to be you know, given to you or you'll be told about everything that's going on, it won't happen. Um, but quite often things will come up and things will come across your, your desk um, or into your inbox and you think, oh, I don't know about that, that's really out of my comfort zone, or I'm not sure I've got the skills for that, or I'm not quite good enough for that. Do it, try it, you know, do the things that sometimes make you feel uncomfortable because you know nothing about it, because you will learn loads. But at the same time, take responsibility. So if there is a, a meeting that you think, actually, I'd, I don't know how the force works, but I'd really like to understand force performance group, for example, or a chief officer meeting, go and ask, go and have a, have a, have a discussion um, with somebody that you know or make a connection make your network and ask can I can I come can I be part of this opportunity is there anything you would like me to help with um, and I think you know as a, as a chief officer I'm always delighted when people say can I get involved because that's exactly what I want and that will give you evidence and experience um, and, and will broaden your horizons and your knowledge about how the organization works so take opportunities but also make your own opportunities and presumably that also includes coaching and mentoring absolutely. which you alluded to earlier on yeah, as a absolutely. way of growing both you and yeah. the individual concerned yeah. okay uh, thank you ever so much Katie I will be hitting the road back to sunny South Devon if it's as sunny down there <laughs> as it is here I shall be happy um, and for those of you that listened in I hope you found some really useful insights uh, from there and I will be back with another podcast in due course until then take care and stay safe <laughs>